You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hi, and welcome to The Blackest Questions. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer, politics editor for The Griot and associate professor of political science at Fordham University. In this podcast, we ask our guests five of The Blackest Questions so we can learn a little bit more about them and have some fun while we're doing it. We're also going to learn a lot about Black history, past and present. So here's how this works. We have five rounds of questions about us, Black history, the entire diaspora, current events, you name it. And with each round, the questions get a little tougher, and the guest has 10 seconds to get it right. If they answer the question correctly, they'll receive one symbolic black fist, and they'll hear this. And if they get it wrong, they'll hear this. But we still love them anyway. And after the five questions, there'll be a black bonus round at the end just for fun. And I like to call it Black Lightning. So... Our guest for this episode is the award-winning actor, producer, singer, and television personality, Kaylin Allen. Kaylin was catapulted into mainstream media through his hilarious Kaylin Reacts videos. Hi, dog. What the hell is this? And in 2018, he was discovered by the renowned comedian and talk show host, Ellen DeGeneres. Kaylin held a regular spot on the Ellen DeGeneres show, often taking his hilarious and infectious personality to high-profile events. He also starred in and produced his own weekly digital series, O.M. Kalen, offering fans his one-of-a-kind commentary on the week's hot topics and trending stories. Kalen made his feature film acting debut in Seth Rogen's An American Pickle for HBO Max in 2020 and also recorded a top 10 holiday album for Christmas sake the same year. Kalen is currently hosting Snack on This on the Cooking Channel. I am so excited to have Kalen here. Kalen, thank you so much for joining us at The Blackest Questions. Oh, thank you. I'm excited and also a little nervous. Oh, listen, no need to be nervous. And as I tell all of my guests, this is an opportunity for us to educate ourselves because Black history is American history. So we're just going to have some fun. Listen, some people get zero out of five. Some people get five out of five. It doesn't matter. We're just going to be on a little intellectual journey together. And speaking of... I mm-hmm. see that you are on your own little intellectual journey, getting your master's in journalism at NYU. How'd that come I about? I am. Oh, I, well, you know, so working in the talk show space, I knew that I wanted to have a talk show one day or work on some type of news platform. And so that was why I decided that I wanted to go back to school and, you know, really learn the craft of journalism. I've had the privilege to work so many red carpets and so many like host capacities as almost like a faux journalist. So I wanted to make sure sure that I had the skill and the the knowledge under my belt. I love the fact that you're like, I'm good at it, but I want to get a foundation in it so I can be yes. brilliant at it. I'm so, I'm so excited for your career just because, you know, we talk a lot about in this podcast about how, you know, COVID has had all of us just, we work through some things, right? Mm-hmm. And we're doing well, but we all know that a lot of folks are just hanging on by a string. And Absolutely. so your personality, especially these past few years, has been like a solve to so many people to just wake up and like be able to smile and like feel joy coming through the television. I think there are a lot of people who just appreciate your energy. You know, like there's a positive energy that comes through all the things that you do, especially when you're on the red carpet, making people smile and laugh and feel good because they're, they're nervous too when they're walking oh, to these you. events, you know, and you just, you kind of bring the temperature Simultaneously, you bring it down, but also bring the energy up. I don't know how you do it, but I, I'm so excited for you to get this this master's in journalism. Please, please come back uh, on the Blackest Questions or let us know when graduation time comes so we can shout you out because we believe in educated folks up in here. And I love it. Amen. I love it. I love All it. right now. And then I saw you went to Temple and yes. I grew up in Philly. And I oh, asked, nice. I think Philly is just one of the most beautiful cities. Baltimore is my favorite city. Uh-huh. But what did you enjoy most about your time in Philly? Oh, the culture. You know, I'm originally from Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And I told I tell people all the time is that Kansas City is where I was raised. But Philadelphia is what made me, you know, mm. I think it was a culture shock, you know, and then to move to Philly, there was so much culture, but it's more so the confidence that Philly people have. Those are some of the most toughest people I have ever met in my life. And I think having that influence and being able to just celebrate the culture of that city, I just, I love it dearly. I go to Philly as much as I can. Mm. Oh my gosh. Okay. I I love the fact that you love cities. I love mm-hmm. the fact that sort of cities give you a certain vibrancy and energy as, as a politics professor of urban politics as well. 
um, I, I maybe we'll do like a Kalen goes to cities and we just explore oh. the various cultures of so many because every city has a flavor, you know. And like when I think about TV shows, it's like, well, the Jeffersons were in Queens and then they were on the East Side, but you know, in Rock, they're in Baltimore, and Amen, it's Philly, and like Good Times, it's Chicago, you know. Yeah. And then you get your shows in Atlanta, you know. And I'm I'm fascinated by, um, you know, when Martin was in Detroit, you know. Right. Fictional, you know, whether they film there or not, doesn't matter. But like the the idea that comedians and actors choose a particular locale to situate their shows says a lot about not just the culture, but the kinds of conversations and environment they want to build in a show. Yeah. Um, I like the different. idea of Kalen goes to cities. <laughs> I like that. Let's pitch it. Let's make it. Let's put it in the universe. Okay. So we are you ready to play the blackest questions? I'm ready. Okay. Question number one, Kalen. Let's get started. This play ran for a total of 57 weeks on Broadway and starred an American Idol winner in the lead role. What was, it's a three-part question, what was the name of the play, who was the American Idol winner, and what is the character she played? An American Idol winner? Mm-hmm. And she was the lead? Mm-hmm. Ooh, I know you know okay. Well, how many weeks? Wait, how many times was it on Broadway? Well, this particular play ran for 57 weeks on Broadway. Okay. Okay. Now, this is this is my guess because this is the only cuz you said lead. This is the only show that I know had a Broadway lead that was an American and I'm going to say the color purple. That's right. Yes. <laughs> you are correct. Fantasia. So Fantasia, and who did she play? She played Seeley. That's right. So, Fantasia appeared on Broadway for 49 consecutive weeks from 2007 to 2008. Um, and Danielle Brooks earned a Tony for playing Sophia in the revival, which ran from 2015 to 2017, just as an aside. But Fantasia will star as Seeley, and Danielle Brooks will play Sophia in the Warner Brothers film adaptation of the musical The Color Purple. Uh, and they're both reprising their respective roles on Broadway. Fantasia and Brooks join a cast that already includes Taraji P. Henson, her, and Holly Bailey in the film, which is being directed by Blitz Bazwule, and it begins production this spring and is slated for a 2023 release. So I saw that you're a theater major, and I see your film credits. Do you have any desire to hit the stage? Oh, absolutely. You know, what you didn't mention is that I'm also at Juilliard right now studying oh. acting. A part of no. Juilliard, yeah, Juilliard has an extension program where you can take classes at Juilliard without having to do a full degree program. Okay. And so I, I'm doing that right now. And last night I had class and I was just like, I miss the stage so much. Mm -hmm. The stage has always been my home. It's what I've done my entire life. I started uh, doing theater when I was like, I think I was 12 years old when I was doing it like on a professional level. Uh -huh. And I cannot wait to return to the stage. Well, I think all of your fans can't wait for you to return as well. Now, what was your first, do you remember your first play? Yes, my first play was uh, called 13, which a lot of people okay. know that Broadway show because Ariana Grande was in oh, it when she was okay. a kid. Uh -huh. And her and Liz Giles, who also is a, a, a good friend of hers. But 13 was my very first musical that I'd done at a community theater in, okay. uh, um, in Kansas City. But my favorite musical is Once on This Island. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. That's your yeah. favorite. Now, That's are you favorite. have you seen any current productions on Broadway? There's so much great theater going on right now. You know, I am so blessed to be asked to attend many Broadway shows on a regular basis. I'm about to go see the piano lesson soon with Danielle. I know Danielle, mm -hmm. so I, I'm definitely going to go see that. Um, but I can tell you right now, my favorite, I have two favorites on Broadway right now. Hades Town mm -hmm. is magnificent. And also, MJ, the musical, is okay. one of the most spectacular things I've ever seen. I'm hearing great things about MJ. I'm going to take my mother for the holidays. I've already seen Piano Lesson twice. Mm -hmm. Twice? That's twice. It is phenomenal. And I, I can't say enough. When you see Danielle Brooks and you give her a hug, you give her an extra squeeze from me. Because she brings it down she is such a talent and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful play. and you know i'm a huge august wilson fan but mm -hmm. it is so well done i mean shout out to uh director richardson who just clearly understands not right. just the the work but all right. she pulls the best out of the actors so okay we're putting we're, we're putting a whole bunch of stuff in the universe here so we're going to see you on the stage on broadway you you've told us before that fantasia is one of your favorite artists have you oh. met fantasia before 
Oh no, but I wish. Listen here, I tell people all the time, you know you made it when uh when Fantasia either singing at your funeral or she doing a tribute to you. Okay, yeah. listen, honey, that is one gift that we really got out of the early years of American Idol. Mm-hmm. I was listening to uh Fantasia's debut uh album just the other day, and I was like, this is pure, like just brilliance. Mm-hmm. This is pure RB. Listen, free yourself is my anthem. Okay. played it when I was trying to finish my dissertation and I just uh-huh. felt like I would never be out of graduate school and I was like listen people let me go okay <laughs> if you don't want me here. then don't talk to me don't honey. talk to me go okay. ahead and free yourself like <laughs> I'm working on me you free yourself okay. from me <laughs> that part uh, oh my gosh okay Fantasia and what is it about Fantasia because she has also I think the reason why I would argue that you two almost remind me of one another is because she also has this infectious personality where you yeah. see her and you want to smile. You see her and you just, you get filled with energy, which is what you do every time you come on the screen. So what is it about her that draws you to her? I think it's the way that she has infused her spirit with her talent, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I think, every, and, and it's the fact that, you know, back in the day, and I, I've talked about this too, of feeling how music has changed so much. I miss the theatrics and the drama when people put their personalities into their music and it was over the top and it was extra, like the Patti LaBelle's, the Aretha Franklin's, the Mariah Carey's, you know? And I think Fantasia has that essence to where she steps on stage and only she can do it that way, Mm -hmm. you know? It's like, you can't... You can't duplicate, like you can't find another Fantasia, like you can't find another Patti LaBelle or another Mariah Carey. She is so unique in her art and in in, in her talent. Mm-hmm. I whenever I see her, I can almost like feel the sweat. Like I feel oh, like yeah. she doesn't give you a half show ever. No. She doesn't know how. You know, the same way Patty, it's like, listen, mm-hmm. Patty's gonna sing for that very last seat mm-hmm. in that very last rafter. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where she is. I feel like that's yeah. Fantasia, where it's just, it's a complete package at all times. Oh. Absolutely. Okay, so who knew that we're going to start the Fantasia fan, fan club up here <laughs> okay. on The Black Question? We're the burritos. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're going to take a quick commercial break. I'm talking to the Kaylin Allen on The Blackest Question. Witty, honest, entertaining. Introducing Dear Culture with Panama Jackson on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio mobile app for all the Black culture debates you don't want to miss. Also available wherever great podcasts are heard. And we're back talking to Kaylin Allen on the Blackest Questions. Kaylin, I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so thankful that you are just giving us this energy and this life on the podcast. I'm having the best time. <laughs> okay, you ready for question number two? Uh huh. Okay. Question number two. Will I Am said that this man was the Nelson Mandela of Couture in a song. He was the first Black man to hold his position at Vogue and was called the Pharaoh of Fabulosity by a staffer there. And oftentimes he was the only Black person in the front row at fashion shows. Who was he? Andre Leon Talley. Andre Leon Talley. So Andre Leon Talley was born in Washington, D.C. in 1948 and was raised by his grandmother, a cleaning woman, at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, during Jim Crow. He went to Brown University and earned his master's degree in French literature. Talley got a start in fashion with an unpaid apprenticeship with uh, Diane Vreeland at the Metropolitan Museum of Art's Costume Institute, a position he seemed to have willed into being. Talley then went on to work at Andy Warhol's interview, Women's Wear Daily, and the New York Times before taking the fashion news director job at Vogue in 1983. Anna Wintour named him creative director in 1988, and aside from a three-year run when he contributed to W Magazine from Paris, he continued to work at Vogue until 2013, and the larger-than-life former Vogue editor died at the age of 73. Now, I have always just loved... Andre Leon Talley. And I know you love mm-hmm. fashion and I know you especially have, you know, spoken about gender non-conforming fashion. Um, what inspires you and sort of how are you tying in fashion with all of your other talents and interests? Fashion to me is power. Mm. Fashion, especially when I'm all dressed up, it's it's not, it's never for, you know, a lot of people get dressed up because they just want to be seen. I don't get dressed up for other people. I get dressed up for myself because it makes me feel courageous. It makes me feel strong. It makes me feel powerful. 
you know, and because the way that, and the reason why I say I don't dress up from for other people is, you know, I've always had this argument, especially around Black Lives Matter movements and stuff about, you know, you would see black men in suits. And I would always say a suit isn't going to make people treat you better, you know? Mm-hmm. And and so I think sometimes fashion is not a costume, you know, it, it's, it's not that it's an expression. It's an expression of who you are and what you believe. And, and, and for me, and the reason why I think I have a tendency to, you know, dress more gender nonconforming is because there are so many men, black gay men that are growing up that they are told to turn down their queerness, mm-hmm. you know, and because mm-hmm. I know the platform that I have and I know the visibility that I have, I want to normalize, you know, men in heels or or men wearing a dress or men wearing a skirt, you know, and mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of people that are doing that. I think of Keenan Longsdale, I think of Billy Porter, I think of, you know, a Ty Hunter, Beyonce's original stylist. Like, I think of all these people that do that now today, and I think all of us are necessary in order to further the conversation about mainly, you know, Blackness and queerness and the intersectionality of that and how it exists within fashion. Absolutely. And growing up in Kansas City, who did you look to as, say, your icons or who were some fashion designers that helped give you ideas or sort of bring out some of your creativity? I would say that was women. You know, Mm -hmm. I think being in church and, Mm -hmm. and seeing, it was more so, like I said, it's about power. You know, Mm -hmm. when a woman in pumps or a woman that is dressed up was giving fierceness, you know, it was giving unstoppable to watch a woman strut down on the street, you know? And I think I was like, I want to feel that essence. Mm-hmm. I want to emulate what that that stride is, you know, and what that power is, you know? And so I think that's where it comes from for me. Yeah, you know, I that makes me think about uh, Alvin Ailey and mm. the, the famous the closing scene in Revelations where you see the women mm-hmm. at the church and it's mm-hmm. just this powerful but glamorous scene. And I, I always think of a young Alvin Ailey being in church with his grandmother, looking at these women in their hats and their dresses and sort of coming up with a visual that he will years and years later create this iconic movement that sort of inspires Black people and people across the world every December, especially as we get into yeah. the holiday season, just like this uh, th- these w- these black women specifically that kind of um, yeah. you know using dress as this form now nowadays where do you get your inspiration for for fashion because when you're on the red carpet I mean you come correct now you know I change it up depending I try to always match the theme of whatever okay. I'm going to you know I I try to say okay what is this what is this premiere or because more more than likely. I usually am not the star on the carpet. You know, it's like they care about the people that are in the the movie or something. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to be dressing up and going on and getting myself together to go to this event, I got to make sure I stand out, you know? And so I think that's why I gravitate towards how can I pull a look? But I think I focus more on my fashion when I'm doing TV appearances. Okay. You know, I think because fashion is a part of, who I am and who my brand is, you know? And so I always try to look at, I look at runway shows. I try to stay on. I also like working with a lot of independent and upcoming designers mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I think they get, they tend to be a little bit more unique. And I love to be able to, you know, elevate anybody or to get as many eyes on something because people will see it and they'll want to work with them, especially when it comes to custom outfits. So that's always where I, I gravitate towards. Yeah, I, I love um, putting on independent folks, right? Mm-hmm. Giving them, because you have exposure when you're sitting on on a couch talking to uh, an interviewer or a celebrity yourself Correct. and there are literally millions of eyes on you, you're, you're elevating a small brand um, in a way that, you know, just I think fits with your message of just like positivity and uplifting community. I absolutely thoroughly enjoy watching you. Now, do you eventually, I mean, we've got Broadway we're putting in the bucket list. We've got, you know, TV shows and journalism and hosting we're putting on the bucket list. Do you ever want to have a fashion line? And have you ever considered maybe doing a show like a Project Runway, either as a host or a contestant? Oh, absolutely. Because I still think men's fashion, this is the thing that I don't like about the fashion world. You know, you watch a lot of uh, fashion shows and sometimes the normal person can't buy those clothes. 
I or mean, can't get access to those clothes, you know, or they are astronomical in price. And I want to make fashion more accessible, you know? In and all senses I, of the word. Exactly, mm-hmm. you know? And so I definitely want to create a fashion line. I want to create a fashion line that is gender non-conforming, that exists in, like, you can buy it at a Zara or, or some type of store that is more accessible to the everyday person because I believe that everybody deserves to feel fabulous. Everybody deserves to feel access to those things. You should not have to spend $1,500 to look good. Absolutely. I also just, you know, having shopped with family members and friends who are gender nonconforming, the fact that we have to go into the men's section to find something that they're interested in, it makes it just such a, it it just doesn't make sense to me. So if I'm with one of my male friends and we have to go into the women's section and like hunt for sizes, and then if I'm with, you know, female friends or family members and we've got to go into the men's section and hunt for sizes for them, it just feels like, why can't we all just be on the same floor? Like, I don't yeah. understand. Like, sometimes yeah. a sweater is a sweater. Like, I don't understand why it has to be a men's sweater over there when it should just be a much larger conversation. Because I think, you know, the conversations I've had in the men's section where we're swapping ideas right. <laughs> and exchanging fashion tips why why can't that just be a much more inclusive experience especially mm-hmm. for a shopper mm-hmm. I, I completely agree and I'm rarely in the men's department I spend <laughs> the majority of my time in the women's department you know what I mean that's but right. I, I come and that's why I think for me it was it would be creating a brand and almost creating a storefront that mm-hmm. is exclusively just just come in and shop get what you want that's it it's just yeah. that simple just come in and be who you are and shop mm-hmm. okay all right, well, listen, we're going to take a quick commercial break. I'm sitting here talking to Kaylin Allen. This is The Black Blackest Questions. The Griot Black Podcast Network is here. Everything you've been waiting for. Black culture amplified. Find your voice on the Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Griot mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. And we're back. I'm with Kaylin Allen for The Blackest Questions. We are um, ready for question number three. Are you ready, Kaylin? I'm ready. Okay. I'm doing good so far. You are doing fantastic. Okay. All right. Question number three. This super soul musical turned adventure fantasy film starred two superstars and a highly talented supporting cast as it was loosely adapted from the Broadway play of the same name. What film is it? Wait, give it to me one more time. One more time. Okay. So, and I'm going to give you a little clue. In the 70s, This super soul musical Hmm. turned adventure fantasy film, so went from a musical to fantasy film, starred two superstars and a highly talented supporting cast, and it was loosely adapted from the Broadway play of the same name. What film is it? Mm -hmm. You said two what? What was the first part? Two? Two superstars. And I, and when I say superstars, I mean superstars. Superstars, okay. I mean, one okay. may even have his own Broadway musical. Okay, so I'm on, I'm on the right line. Okay, so then it's The Wiz. It is The Wiz. Yeah, okay. okay. So The Wiz was released in 1978, starring Diana Ross, Michael Jackson, Nipsey Russell, Richard Pryor, Mabel King, and Quincy Jones composed the film. The Wiz musical on Broadway starred Stephanie Mills as Dorothy instead of Diana Ross. The executive producer of Blackish, Kenya Barris, just announced that there's a remake of The Wiz in the works. So have you you've been to see MJ the musical on Broadway? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you also a fan of The Wiz? I am. I did or the is Wiz that a little when I was in time. high school. No, no, no. I did the Wiz when I was in high okay. school. Ooh, who my did you senior play? year, I played the Wizard. <gasps> which they cut the Wizard song out of the movie. Oh. But when they did the live uh, musical with Queen Latifah as the wizard, they put the song back in, but the song is not in the movie. Um, But yes, no, I love the wizard. Now, I didn't know that it was a play first. Oh, yeah, because Stephanie Mills, Mm -hmm. and I'm a huge Stephanie Mills fan. Stephanie Mills was the original Dorothy. And then when they changed to the movie, they made it Diana Ross. But, okay, so, but when Stephanie did it, it was still a musical, right? Yeah, yeah, she was she Dorothy in the musical. Okay, because when you said play, that threw me off. Oh, okay, sorry, musical. Because I was, yeah, I was like a play. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it was a play. No, it okay. was a musical. Okay, my bad. So you know what? <laughs> One, you already got the symbolic black fist, but we're definitely giving it to you because there's a, a technicality on the the interchange. I forgot. I'm talking to a real thespian over here. There's a difference between a play and a musical. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. And exactly. I love musicals, so I should know better. Um, oh, so, you know, you mentioned Queen Latifah and my brain just, you know, shut down. I think that Queen Latifah is such a talent. Make me international. You know, Talk about growing it. up, I mean, think of it this way. You've got a woman who's a rapper, a jazz mm-hmm. singer, an mm-hmm. actress, a Broadway star. Like, mm-hmm. she does Black movies. She does white movies. She's a model for, you know, for cosmetics. I had such a great time tonight. Oh, me too. I'm just like, anything she does is pure gold. And now she's got hit TV shows, and she was a talk show host. Okay. I mean, so, textbook. It, like, you know, they do a lot of times where schools will be like, they will name a class after a celebrity and they'll mm-hmm. study. Queen Latifah is one of those people that need to be studied. Oh, absolutely. You know, I tried my very first op-ed that I ever tried to get published was a, a 25-year anniversary op-ed about Black Rain, her album mm. that, you know, mm. has UNITY and, you know, mm-hmm. who you calling mm-hmm. to be on it. And I was like, this woman has been such an icon. And like, let's be clear, she's not a size two. She's not half naked. Like, Mm -hmm. she is a bona fide superstar without kind of some of the traps that we see a lot of women fall into Uh as on their road to stardom. And I just think that she's like an octuple threat on so many levels. And also just, you know, I don't know her, but also just seems like down to earth. Oh, yeah. I was watching Living Single. I was like, Khadijah seems like Dana. Exactly. But, you know, I think the way that she was able to cross over into the white market Mm -hmm. Because of Cover Girl. Mm-hmm. I mm. think Cover Girl is because she was the face of it. Like she was that the was the face of Cover and Girl. And listen, and there's one thing about Queen Latifah, that hair is always laid. Laid. Okay. It okay, is sleep. always laid. And I think that is a big part of how she was able to cross over into that world. Because that, that world was definitely not watching Living Single. They were watching Friends, you know? Uh-huh. They were not listening to rap music. I think her ability to really build an empire within CoverGirl and then start doing movies like Bring It Down to the House mm-hmm. or doing Taxi and then, then having all that, honey, a career. And here we are. And the rest is literally history because then we see Chicago. Mm-hmm. She was in some great movie. What is it like? Oh, Last Holiday is one of my favorites. Would you mind? Yeah. I quit. I'm trying to think of... She was in a movie when someone was, like, dying of cancer. I don't know. I'll have to look up her yeah, that's IMDb. That's Last Holiday. That's Last that's Holiday? Like, yes. Oh, my gosh. With L- like... L- LQJ. Yes! Yes. And then she go blow out her money. Did she find out she not really dying? Yes. I loved it. Well, the basketball movie was common. Like, don't even get oh my god and we haven't even mentioned right. set it off i'd be boohooing when i watch just right and set it off they both sad well not well the, just right not that but it's it's nice to be like oh look at her yeah. falling in love you really think you could give me back yeah but you're gonna hate me by the time i'm through with you look at her falling in love i don't you know i just is so i she and missy are kind of my mm-hmm. mount rushmore folks right love like it. those two to me just seem like just talent on talent who do you sort of sit back and reflect. I mean, I know that you're a huge MJ fan, but whose career do you look at? And it's like, that is really something to kind of observe as you think about all the different paths that are open for you and the work you're doing at Juilliard and NYU to like build a foundation. So when big things hit, you're ready, right? Your foundation is going to be stronger and stronger and stronger by the day. Whose career are you looking at? Like, hmm, in 40 years, I want to sit back and sort of, and kind of reflect on like, this is a nice continuation of their Oh, career. Beyonce. Okay. Oh, Hands yeah. down. You're like, that's Hands one down. word. That's it. Listen here. People already know I am one of the biggest Beyonce, Beyonce fans. And I met her recently. Did you know? And yes. And, you know, for me, growing up, I think a lot of when I talked about, you know, the fierceness and the power. It's like I watched her and she commanded that stage and she commanded that attention. And I really studied her work ethic. I was just about how, to say. I, yeah, is, that's, besides Michael Jackson, is there mm-hmm. someone with a work ethic like Beyonce's? No. And I think that's the thing is that Beyonce studied Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, even though we do so, we are vastly different in as far as where we exist within the industry and what we do. I watched how she handled things and how she moved and how she played the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought she she did a very good job of playing the game to get the fame, to get the success, and then to get control to be able to do it how she wanted to do it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but I 
I think she's textbook. Yeah, I mean, I think about, you know, when you, you've seen various documentaries, which, you know, obviously are what she wants to show us too, because mm -hmm. there's a certain privacy element that I right. really respect. Um, but when I see Destiny's Child, the first mm -hmm. iteration, at these malls, right, mm -hmm. and these county mm -hmm. fairs, Mm -hmm. where you're performing sometimes for 30 people, mm -hmm. sometimes maybe 100 people, just mm -hmm. over and over perfecting the craft, just working at it and believing in it. Also, you know, just having this singular goal mm -hmm. and saying, you know what, I know I am talented and I am going to keep working at it, even when I'm at the county fair and there are 40 people in the audience. Right. Like, But yeah. I'm also Fantasia style, Patty style, Aretha style. I'm mm -hmm. going to perform for these 40 people as though it's 40,000 people like Coachella. Right. 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 And so right. just getting that conditioning, which I just have so much respect for artists like Beyonce who have a work ethic that just, you know, listen, I don't know if she's eaten a cheeseburger in the past 10 years. I have no idea. Right. I just had a bowl of oxtails for breakfast. So it's like <laughs> also the discipline that people have, you know, to have a yeah. singular goal. Uh, when I yeah. go to the gym and, you know, you see these like supermodels working out and I'm sitting mm -hmm. there, you know, watch my little television on my little elliptical. And I was like, oh, child, I've come to the gym, worked out, gone to the steam room, showered, gotten dressed, done uh -huh. my hair, come back out. You're still on the same machine. I'm like, oh, okay, that's not me. <laughs> But, you know, it's so funny that you talk about that because I, I think I can add to this. And I think this is also a reason why I decided to go back to school and to do all these things is that I actually don't think it is the best way to take somebody straight to the top. You mm -hmm. know, like you mm -hmm. talk about like the Walmarts and then performing in parking lots. Like that's all about artist development. Mm -hmm. And I think we live in a in a space now because there is so much instant gratification that people are just taken straight to the top. And I think a lot of people don't know how to handle it. And I think no. also what's hard about that is that I know, especially for me in the beginning of my career, I made a lot of mistakes in front of the world because I was learning as I was going. And mm -hmm. the reason why people were performing in those parking lots at those Walmarts and doing those smaller things and performing in schools, because those were training wheels. Mm -hmm. They were going there to train for what they were needed to prepare for, for the bigger moment so right. that they weren't just thrown into it. So I wish that we would bring back artist development. That artist development, which we don't, you know, the thing is that takes time and money. And we know that this, it does. this, Industry, this country, this world doesn't have the patience for that in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. It's that instinct. But you think about someone like, you know, Justin Timberlake, mm -hmm. Beyonce, Michael Jackson, Britney Spears. I mean, these people have been working. When right. I say working, I life. mean full work, right? right. For when you talk for, about Justin Timberlake, you talk about Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, all part of the Mickey Mouse Club. Oh, you know, and Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling, listen, you know? Ryan Gosling. Right. You're, all these you're a triple people. threat too, Ryan. <laughs> Okay, working. exactly. But all these people working and cultivating mm -hmm. their art and getting it to the place that by the time it was time to show it to a global audience, right. it had already been tweaked and polished and, you know, made to the best of its, you know, quality. Right. Okay, Kaylin. Uh, I'm so excited for you. Like, I know we're, you know, the essence of podcast, I get it. But when I say I'm so excited for you building this foundation, okay. um, I'm excited for this Juilliard piece. I'm excited for this journalism piece. And just, you're already obviously using natural talents. We get it. But there is something to be said about having the humility to recognize. It's like, I'm really good at this, but I actually can work on things and consistently mm -hmm. get better so I can be great at this. I just, yep. I respect that. And I think a lot of our listeners are really always trying to figure out how do we strengthen up our foundation? I mean, this is what the whole podcast is about as we learn about Black history, a.k.a. American history as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break and then we're going to come back and continue playing The Blackest Questions with Kayla Allen, who is killing the game over here. The Griot Black Podcast Network is here and it's everything you've been waiting for. News, talk, entertainment, sports, and today's issues, all from the Black perspective. Ready for real talk and Black culture amplified? Be inspired. Listen to new and established voices now on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. Okay, we're back. I'm with Kaylin Allen. Kaylin, are you ready for question number four? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. As a territory that had a long and violent history of pre-Civil War contests over slavery, 
This state emerged as the quintessential free state and seemed like a promised land for African-Americans who searched for what they called a new Canaan. Which state is it? This is a hard one. This is a tough one. It's when you say African-American promised land, I start to think of places where I know a lot of Black people live. Um, and maybe some Allens that live there. Mm, so that's okay. 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 Oh my gosh. I'm nervous. What if this is wrong? Okay. I'm going to say Kansas. It is Kansas. <laughs> it is Kansas. So fleeing from new forms of oppression that were emerging in the post-Reconstruction era South, a group of, of African-American settlers established the community of Nicodemus on the windswept plains of Kansas in 1877. Many African-Americans believed that Kansas was a unique state where they would be allowed to freely exercise their rights as American citizens, gain true political freedom, and have the opportunity to achieve economic self-sufficiency. On May 8, 1879, Kansas Governor St. John formed the Freedmen's Relief Association to help care for the people. This group established colonies for Blacks, one in Wabansi, which is the, to the west of Topeka, and one in Chautauqua County, and another in Coffee County. And so the Black Exodus was a name given to African Americans who migrated from states along the Mississippi River to Kansas in the late 19th century as part of the Exoduster Movement, or the Exodus of 1879. And it was the first general migration of Black people following the Civil War. So I know you're from Kansas City, Kansas. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You talked a little bit about Philly and how that city sort of made you in a lot of ways. What, what influence did Kansas City have on you and how was it growing up there? Oh, my goodness. You know, um, I loved growing up. Okay. You know who else is from the exact same county as me? Janelle Monet. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, Janelle Monet went to high school. That makes sense, though, when yeah. I think about both of your creative elements. Yeah, Janelle went to school right up the street from my house. And actually, our mothers went to elementary school together. Um, but I think growing up in Kansas City, what I am grateful for is when Kansas City has some great food. Okay, mm. barbecue is, mm -hmm. I don't eat barbecue outside of Kansas City. Uh, second of all, Kansas City is also very rooted in arts and culture. I don't mm. know why. And, you know, actually, when I go to other cities, like I was in Knoxville, mm -hmm. I realize how advanced Kansas City is. And maybe that's because it's the heartland. So, okay. like, everything, all the influences from all around the nation kind of meet in the middle. Maybe okay. that is it. Um, but I also know that Kansas City was a lot of privilege. Like, I'm from Wyandotte County, which is, like, the blackest county in, in Kansas City, considered, you know, that was what they would consider to be, like, the hood of Kansas, you know? <laughs> but it was like, but once I was going to Temple and I was in North Philadelphia, I was like, oh, this is this is two right. different worlds. Uh -huh. I was like, I don't think Kansas City even understands how we are living truly and privileged here. You know, I think Kansas City is a very comfortable city you know I, I think it's easy to to make a living and, and to build there's also a very rich rich city but it's also a very segregated city mm -hmm. as most cities are it is yes yeah, so i think this is like to a whole other extreme right. Right. you know it's like you know where the black people live and you know where the white people live are and there some train cross, tracks there are train tracks mm -hmm. there are train tracks and it's like it is actually amazing how drastically different it can be and how segregated it is. Um, and so, but in recent years, you know, and while I was in high school, Kansas City has started, which is great, is because, um, you know, it started to really upgrade and improve and stuff like that and doesn't work almost the same as gentrification in most places because the white people kind of just go out to where there is no land, where there's okay. nothing built, you know? Right. But I think what, what the issue with that is that then they start developing all that stuff out there where the white people live and then the, the black communities further down start to get neglected. You know right. what I mean? And where are the resources for black exactly. communities? Exactly. Like now, not having a grocery store, mm -hmm. you know, and stuff like that and having food deserts and yeah. Well, in, okay, so before I ask my next question, mm -hmm. um, in my urban politics course, I talk about food apartheid and not necessarily a desert because there was mm -hmm. a, a woman that I saw on Instagram who was talking about the difference between a desert 
is kind of a, a naturally made thing, right? Mm. So it doesn't just happen. But a food apartheid mm -hmm. is a conscious decision mm. to neglect a community and mm. actually have these inequities. And so when we think about Black communities not having grocery stores, mm -hmm. you know, only having Dollar Trees and maybe a Walmart, it's mm -hmm. actually a deliberate experience that we're going through. And mm. sadly, we see it in city after city. And yeah. so just as a, a, a minor shift for me, I've actually started saying food apartheid because it actually makes it a dual relationship I between like those who are giving and receiving. Got it. So, but thinking of Kansas City, when did you know it was time for you to move? Because I mean, going to Philly, that's a that's a far mm -hmm. shift. Like, did you have folks who had left Kansas City or did you already know, like as a kid, where you're like, mm, I'm in fourth grade, but I'm getting out of here on the first thing smoking when I turn 18. Like, when did you know that it's like, this is a beautiful place, I respect it and I love it and it's made me who I am, but I gotta go to be who I really am. Oh, I always knew. Okay. And I think also it probably is a big part of my queerness. Mm -hmm. I knew that I didn't fit in there, you know? <laughs> I, right. I was like, I was, I was in Kansas, you go to Kansas, the only thing people know how to wear is a Royals t-shirt and a Chiefs t-shirt, you know? And those are the, the sport teams. Yes. I was like, honey, this is so basic. It's so basic. I got to so go. Basic. Okay? So basic. I got to go. Uh, but I always do my entire life. And, you know, I was a part of a, a organization called Kaufman Scholars. Okay. Um, and Kaufman Scholars allowed me to go anywhere in the country for college on a full-ride scholarship. So I have no student loans. I never had to pay for college. I, I started in the seventh grade. It was an academic program. I would have to go classes. I had to get a certain test score on the ACT. Mm -hmm. There were all these requirements that I had to do from seventh grade up until graduation. And so then I had a full-ride scholarship. And then the re how I ended up at Temple and decided to go to Philadelphia is my dream school was NYU. I never buy. This is the only time I ever doubted myself. And that's why I'm glad that I, I now am at NYU is because I didn't think I was going to get in and I didn't apply. But I had taken a test online. I had done a lot of college preparatory. I went to a college prep school as well, uh, International Baccalaureate School. And when I was in uh, my senior year, I took a quiz and the quiz would match you with schools they mm -hmm. felt were best for you. And the first one that came up was Temple. And I literally said, okay, well, that's where I'm going. And that's how it happened. And then and I now moved full to... circle, though. You're about Listen. to have a degree from NYU and Temple. And okay. what? We did And it. what? <laughs> well, you know, and, and as a college professor, I always tell people, you know, when I have students who want to go to graduate school, and, you know, I write them letters, and we, we, we talk about it, and it's like, well, you know, let's just say, for example, I really want to go to NYU Law School. I was like, well, the first step is you got to apply. Right. <laughs> like, right. chances are they're not just going to find you out of the millions of people in America. So, mm -hmm. like, the one thing that you have to do is actually put yourself out there and apply. And so I love how there's there's that one time where you you let sort of fear get the better of you, and you're like, yeah. no mas. No oh, mas. Yeah. And I haven't <laughs> done it since, you know? So uh, we'll have NYU, we'll have Juilliard, we'll have Temple, and then the rest will be history. Okay, Next we're gonna is culinary school. Oh, I know that for a fact. Well, I like to eat. I don't know if you knew that. So. Well, there we go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, I'll, cook for I'll, you. I'll help you with your um, <laughs> with your your midterm prep. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> okay, we're gonna take a quick break. We're playing the Blackest Questions with Kaylin Allen. Introducing Dear Culture with Panama Jackson on the Griot Black Podcast Network. Bring your friends for the shenanigans and stay for the edutainment as Panama debates culture wars, Janet Jackson versus Michael, Black Fashions, Black Mendations, and everything Black. Listen today on the Griot mobile app for all the Black culture conversations you don't want to miss. Also available wherever great podcasts are heard. Okay, Kaylin, we're back. We're going to do our last question okay. uh, before we have our black lightning round. Are you ready? You are I'm doing ready. so well. Thank you. Okay. Question number five. This collection of music festivals centered around beach locales and African music has become a big deal in Portugal, Puerto Rico, and Ghana by attracting black travelers that flock to the beach festival to witness their favorite Afrobeat, hip hop, and reggae artists like Burna Boy, Wizkid, and French Montana. What is the name of this festival? Oh, this one may get me. I don't do a lot of music festivals. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I have shit. Mm, okay, I'm gonna make a guess. It's probably gonna be wrong though. Okay. 
Wow, not me about to lose already. Well, I guess I made it pretty far. Um, okay, I'm going to guess Afropunk. Close. It's okay. Afro Nation. So I've never last heard year, of that. the well, this is why we play the blackest questions, my love. So last year, the Beach Festival popped up in West Africa for the first time with its Ghana edition. Mm -hmm. So the festival co-founders say the festival was born out of the need for opportunities for Afrobeats artists and to unify the African diaspora. So Afro Nation 2022 was July 1st to the 3rd of this uh, this past year. So Afro Nation. So a lot of us know about Afropunk, but right. this is another one for those of us who are interested in uh, more African uh, Afrobeat, hip hop, and reggae artists together. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know that existed. So I know that you know when you travel, and I you travel a lot for work. But when you vacation, you're more of an adventurous activities, oh, yeah. right? And you said you go to festivals that are that are Beyonce festivals. Uh -huh. Now, what's on your bucket list for travel? Ooh. I really want to go to Brazil. I never mm. been to Brazil. I want really want to go to Rio de Janeiro. Um, I've been to a lot of places. Uh, I definitely I want to go to Italy. I love Italian food. Mm. I took my niece there for two weeks this summer. Really? Yeah. Well, they graduated from high school, and and I wanted us to have just a little time together, just the two of us, uh, to talk about just life and yeah. eat and look around. And so before they went to to college, we spent two weeks and we did the Venice, Florence, Rome. Three mm. city, just eating our way it. through from north it. to south. I also want to go to South Africa. I really mm, want to go to mm -hmm. South Africa. I have a lot of uh, fans in South Africa. And oh. so um, I definitely want to go there. I really wanted to go when they did Global Citizens mm -hmm. down there, mainly because of Beyonce. But I do. I really, really want to go to South Africa. Well, you know, there's Durban and Johannesburg and Cape Town. And those three cities, again, cities. Right. This is part of your city's television show. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they're so different. And the cuisine is so different in those three cities because of their geographic locale and because mm -hmm. of the migration and immigration of different folks who've been there. I cannot wait to see you put something together that incorporates cities and travel and food and culture and fashion, obviously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, OK. And so of the places you've traveled, what what would you recommend for our listeners? Mm. Because we had Jessica Mbongo on the podcast. Oh, I love the, Jessica. I mean, she's phenomenal. That's so a friend for, of mine. For our listeners who missed that episode, she's the first Black woman to travel to every single country in the world. And so her yeah. passport is hot. I thought my passport yes, was hot. Is. Her passport yes, stays hot. Mm -hmm. But where have you been that you would suggest to our listeners and that you'd recommend? My favorite place that I have been is Barcelona. Barcelona? Yes. Barcelona. <laughs> I loved it. I loved the food. Mm -hmm. There was so much culture as mm -hmm. well there. Um, anywhere, you know, in Spain really is a treat. Uh, my top two are definitely Barcelona and Paris. Mm -hmm. I love Paris. Uh, isn't it you know, so bougie? Don't ah! you have to just like whisper when you say Paris? I know, right? You just, I, oh. I, I went there this summer with my two nieces. Um, we went to Paris and London. I need Again, to be in your family. Okay, because you're taking all the trips. I, everybody wants to be my niece, right? <laughs> really? I'm, you know, I, I take it very seriously. I'm a pank. I'm a professional aunt, no kids. I and love it. I just think that it is so important. Travel is so important, right? Mm -hmm. It's essential for the soul if you can do it. But, I mean, there are a lot of ways that you can do it locally, obviously, mm -hmm. if, if the money is a little funny. But... Mm -hmm. I like to eat and I'm real, I'm real clear about that. I like good food and it doesn't have to be expensive food. I mean, I think, you know, now, you know, this just sort of in the culinary world, sometimes street meat and street food is the best better than a, you know, Michelin starred restaurant. You know, I love it. You said that. Cause I was, I just got off a Disney cruise. Mm, how was that? Oh my God. The best vacation <laughs> I have ever been on, but we were on the Disney cruise and they have this, um, they have a restaurant called Enchante, right? And it's it's like a fancy dinner. It's, it's modeled off of the Beauty and the Beast, right? And okay. so we had made this reservation. We were like, oh, yeah, we're going to go. But each time, every night you go to dinner in these different, you know, dining halls. But they have shows or they have entertainment attached. Well, the night that we had Enchante, we found out that originally we were supposed to go to Arendelle, which is from Frozen. And it okay. was a show. And I said, so what's special in Enchante? They were like, oh, it's just a nice, you know, Michelin star, five-star uh, dinner. I said, so ain't no show? 
And they said, no. I said, well, baby, we ain't going to Enchante. <laughs> I said, I can go to fancy dinner in New York City, honey. I mean, no, 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 no. That's I see y'all in Arendelle, okay? <laughs> oh, well, I'm right. No Enchante for me. <laughs> okay, that was me. <laughs> well, so you know my, my secret for when I travel, because Ooh. I like to eat. And uh-huh. I like to eat anywhere and everywhere. You know, just because good food, you know, it's like it can come right. from anywhere. My secret is this. You wake up and you have a little shot of Coca-Cola. A little half glass of Coca-Cola. Okay. And if you've ever seen what Coca-Cola does to a car battery or mm-hmm. to a penny, you know yeah. that a little half glass of Coca-Cola in the morning, the entire vacation, you are scot-free. You can drink water. You can go to local vendors. You can eat anywhere you want to eat, honey, because your stomach is A-OK. Like, that <laughs> is the first thing I do is, like, I buy a liter of, if I'm someplace for uh-huh. a week, I buy a liter of Coke. And every morning I wake up and just have a little sip of Coca-Cola. And I'm like, all right, let's hit, let's hit it. The day is here. I love here. that. Listen, and you know, my guilty pleasure is Coca-Cola. I love Weekly. Coca-Cola. Now, see, and I don't drink a lot of soda just because... That's the only soda I drink. The minute I drink soda, my face looks like I drink soda. <laughs> so it's only when I'm on vacation. But if you're already a Coca-Cola drinker, you're you're ahead of the game. I'm sick. Just like in Blackest Questions, you're ahead of the game. Okay, so we're going to take a quick commercial break. I'm here with Kaylin Allen, and when we come back, we're going to play Black Lightning. The Griot Black Podcast Network is here. Everything you've been waiting for. Black culture amplified. Find your voice on the Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Griot Mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. Okay, we're back. Kaylin, before we let you out of here, We've got time for the black bonus round. Are you right. ready for a little black lightning? Come on, I'm ready. Okay, now these questions, there is no wrong answer. You just tell me yay or nay, right? Okay. It's just how okay. you feel. Okay. Okay, question number one. If you could choose your bestie, Barack Obama or Beyonce? Beyonce. If you had to choose Tony Braxton or Adele? Tony Braxton. Best Italian dish that you make, lasagna or chicken parm? Lasagna. Favorite music genre? R&B. Michael Jackson or Prince? Michael Jackson. If you had to choose Barcelona or Paris? Barcelona. Samuel Jackson or Denzel Washington? Denzel Washington. If you had to choose Once on this Island or MJ the Musical? Mm, Once on this Island. Do you prefer Instagram or TikTok? Instagram. And if you had to choose, last question, performing or hosting? Mm, Hosting. Ooh, I can't wait to see more of the hosting that you do. I am so thankful that you joined us. I am so excited to see what you do in the next few months and years. Please promise that you'll come back to Blackest Questions. Oh, absolutely. This is so much fun. You did fabulously, by the way. Thank you. And for our listeners out there, you've been listening to Kaylin Allen and The Blackest Questions. And I want to thank you all for listening. The show is produced by Sasha Armstrong, Akilah Shedrick, Jeffrey Trudeau, and Regina Griffin is our managing editor of podcasts. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And please download the Grio app to listen and watch many more great shows.